I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles at this time to Isaiah chapter 61 for our scripture reading. Isaiah chapter 61, if you're using a pew Bible, that can be found on page 737. Isaiah chapter 61, I'll be reading verses 1 to 11, the whole chapter, but verses 1 to 3 will constitute my sermon text for this morning. Last week we heard a sermon on, besides Jesus, there is no Savior. We do well to remember what the angel uh, of the Lord, when he brought Good news to the shepherds in the field, saying to the shepherds, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He is Savior, He is Christ, He is Lord. And so last week we looked at Savior, this morning we look at Christ, next week we look at Jesus is Lord. Let's now hear God's word, beginning at verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations. And in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore in their land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts. And as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Thus far, the reading of God's word made his blessing upon the preaching and teaching of it. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, in Isaiah's prophecy, God promises the coming 
of the servant of the Lord. In fact, this teaching, this prophecy begins in chapter 40 and works its way towards approximately chapter 55, but it is clearly shown here in 61 that this one who is speaking is indeed the servant of the Lord. And the Lord God sends his servant. He sends his anointed one to his people. He sends the Messiah, the anointed one, or the Christ, to his people. Boys and girls, Jesus' last name wasn't Christ. It's not Joseph and Mary Christ. Jesus, last name Christ. No, he's Jesus the Christ. He is Jesus the anointed one. The anointed one of God. And we see throughout Isaiah this prophecy of the servant of the Lord rising up who will be sent to his people by God himself. For example, in chapter 11, verse 1, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Likewise, in chapter 42, the Lord says, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And now in 61, we read at verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. The Lord God of Israel is true to his promises. He sent the anointed one to rescue and restore a brokenhearted people. A people poor in spirit. People like you and me. He didn't come to rescue and restore the proud or the arrogant or the self-righteous. He came to restore and reconcile broken people. Three points this morning. And I think they're mixed up in your sermon notes. The first point is the identity of the Christ, the Messiah. The second point is the consecration of the Christ. The consecration of the Christ. And the second is the mission of the Christ. Let's look first at the identity of the Christ. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. Who is the one speaking here? Is Isaiah speaking of himself? Or is he speaking of another person? Because after all, Isaiah and prophets, priests, and kings were anointed. They were called by God. They were anointed by God. And they had the Spirit upon them to exercise their particular office in Israel. You had the prophets, you had the priests, and the kings. Each one had a distinct office, a distinct duty before the Lord. And they were anointed with power to fulfill their calling. So is the speaker here Isaiah or someone else after the exile when God brings home his people from Babylon? It's possible but not likely. 
Because the person who is speaking has a power and authority that's a unique to his own person, his own character, his own nature. You, you heard from Isaiah 42 earlier, this servant of the Lord has such wisdom and counsel. There's really none like him in his ministry. There's really none like him in his teaching. The one who is speaking here is the pre-incarnate Son of God. The Word of God, who in John chapter 1 is known as the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word being Jesus. And here we have the pre-incarnate Son. Pre-incarnate meaning before He took on human flesh. Before He became Jesus in, as a child in a manger. Before He was called Jesus, He was the Word. He is the eternal Son. Over 700 years later, this speaker assumes human flesh, taking on our likeness, yet without sin. His name is Jesus, and he himself interprets Isaiah 61, finding its fulfillment in himself. I want us to imagine for a second. Imagine for a second with me. Okay? We live in the town of Nazareth. Okay? And we heard of this man named Jesus. We've probably seen him as a young boy. Okay? And he's 30 years old and he becomes a rabbi, which was the age of becoming a teacher in Israel. He's anointed to the ministry in the River Jordan. He's preaching and teaching and healing. He's doing many mighty works. And then he comes back to the hometown of Nazareth. And you remember him. Hey, this is Joseph's son, the carpenter. The carpenter's son. But because he's a rabbi, he enters a synagogue. And he tells the people who he is. He's the rabbi. And the attendant of the synagogue says to him, hey, since you're a rabbi, here's a scroll. Read it, interpret it, and apply it to your people, to the people here. So he rolls the scroll. He gets the scroll. And what, where is it at? Oh, Isaiah chapter 61. You remember Luke chapter 4? The attendant gives him a scroll from Isaiah and Jesus opens the scroll and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring you good news, to bind up the brokenhearted. And so Jesus then gives the scroll back to the attendant and sits down. Now, you're in, you're in Nazareth, okay? You're, you're in the synagogue. And Jesus sits down, and he looks at you and says, Today, this prophecy is fulfilled. This prophecy is fulfilled in me. And this is how they preached back then. Did you know that in the synagogues? They would sit down and preach to you like this, teach you like this, look you in the eye. They probably didn't have any notes. And they would teach you and preach to you the truth of God's word.
How would you respond to that? A prophecy that they were well aware of. They were anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And here he is before their eyes. The very Messiah, the Christ, is before their eyes. His identity was confirmed by his own apostles. Remember in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ. You are the anointed one the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. The only reason why Peter was able to confess Jesus is the Christ is because God revealed it to Peter. Because the Son of God and Son of Man is the light of the world who came to bring light in the darkness. And the Father reveals the Son to whomever He wishes. Peter didn't conjure up in his mind or spirit or in his intellect, yes, you are the Christ. I believe you. I trust in you. I believe you are the Son of the living God. No, because sinful man cannot make such a confession apart from the grace of God. His identity is known by his people when God reveals it to us. Just like God reveals that Jesus is Savior to us, opening our dead sinful hearts to to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, so too we receive him to be our Christ, the Christ the Son of the living God. In their missionary and evangelistic labors, Peter and the apostles, they proclaimed what? They proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, the one who was crucified, dead, and buried, and was raised from the dead. That was their message. Jesus is the Christ. He is Lord. You can't have Jesus as a good moral teacher and not have him as Christ. If you're walking with Jesus as your just good moral example, he is not the true Jesus for you. He is Christ. You see why the angels made that grand announcement. You see why the shepherds worshipped and praised God that the Christ child was born? You see why Mary pondered these things in her heart with amazement? The Christ child is born. God in flesh. And the Spirit of the Lord is upon him. God anointed him to be the Christ, not a Christ, but the Christ. And so secondly, we look at the consecration of the Christ. The identity is the Son of God and Son of Man, the Lord Jesus. And this Jesus is consecrated, which means to be set apart, 
That's what anointing is. When, when a prophet, priest, or king was anointed with oil, that was God symbolizing that he is setting apart them for a specific calling. And the servant of the Lord who will come in the name of the Lord will be sent by the Lord God and set apart to be the church's Messiah. But in Jesus, you get three in one. You get three offices in one divine person. One human person. Human nature. One divine nature, one human nature, and one person, the Christ. See, God provided for us a chief prophet who preached the word and will of God. Isn't that why he came? One of the reasons why he came? To show us the will of the Father, to teach us the will of the Father, to point us to the Father. So he is our chief prophet, and he was anointed to be our prophet. He is our high priest. He was anointed to be our high priest, to make sacrifice for sins with his own body, to intercede on behalf of his people. And through his shed blood, we have access before God. We have entrance into his holy of holies. We are reconciled to God through his blood. He is our high priest. We do not need another priest because Jesus is our high priest. In fact, the Bible goes in so far as to say that every Christian is a priest unto God now. Because of Christ and his priestly work. And so he's our high, or he's our chief prophet who taught us the way to God. He's consecrated for that service. He's consecrated or anointed by God to be our high priest, to shed his own blood, to restore us to the Father. But he's also anointed to be our great king, our eternal king. The one who rules and reigns over all things and rules and reigns over your heart, Christian. In Jesus, you get three offices in one person. And you get them fulfilled permanently and perfectly. Because the Old Testament prophets, priests, and kings were imperfect, sinful human beings. And could not do that which God called them to do perfectly. And so therefore the, the Christ, the prophet, priest, and king, had to come and do it perfectly on behalf of his people. Let me ask you, who's, who's going to guard, guide, and protect you on your way to heaven? King Jesus? Who's going to guard, guide, and protect you from your own sin? Your high priest Jesus? Who's going to guard, guide, and protect you from the evil one, Satan? King Jesus, who's going to guard, guide, and protect you from the, the philosophies and empty religions of this world, the prophet Jesus? So when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we accept him for everything of who he is. We can't cherry-pick Jesus. I want him to be this for me, this for me, this for me, but he's not going to be this for me. You following me? 
It's either all of Jesus or none of him. And so we call him the Christ, the son of the living God. We are making a very distinct, unique, and exclusive claim about him. That he is the priest, prophet, and king of God. Because he is the unique, eternal son of God. When Jesus was anointed and consecrated for his earthly ministry, he was baptized in the Jordan by John. And you may remember that the Spirit of God descended upon him like a dove. And do you remember the voice that came from heaven? What did the voice of the Father say? You are my beloved Son. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. He is the eternal Son of God. The one who speaks here in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, and the one who is consecrated to a holy divine servant as prophet, priest, and king, so that you may know God and have a relationship with your Father in heaven and give glory to his name. Thirdly, the mission of the Christ. The, the, the identity of the Christ is Jesus, our Lord. He was consecrated by God, the Father, anointed by the Spirit of God. And now his mission, look with me at verse 1. To bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. The text looks forward beyond the exile and to the coming of Christ, who will indeed bring good news. He will bring good news of liberty from bondage. He will bring good news of spiritual sight from spiritual darkness. Because Jesus exercises the office of prophet, priest, and king. Jesus came to preach this good news. And it's good news, Christian, that you've been hearing, God willing. Many of you have been raised in the church, have heard gospel preaching for a long time. Some of you not so long. But you're hearing, you've been hearing it, you read it, through your devotions, through Bible reading. This is the good news that Jesus brings. That he opens deaf ears and blind eyes. He heals those who are broken in spirit. 
those who thirst for righteousness, those who thirst for God. Sin brings bondage. It brings great bondage to our conscience and to our souls. Jesus came to release you from that captivity. Sin brings spiritual darkness. Sin. Evil. Jesus brings light. He is the true light that comes into man and brings life. Think of walking in darkness as walking in the, the night of day. It's dark. But what do many people do in darkness? You take out a flashlight or a lantern. And you use artificial light to find your way in the darkness. People are looking to artificial light in their spiritual darkness, in their spiritual hurt and pain and sorrow. But for the Christian, we walk in the day because the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the real light. He is the real light that shines in your heart and shows you the way to life. Which light are you looking to? Jesus preaches good news. He preaches good news of spiritual light. He preaches good news of forgiveness of sins. He preaches good news as the only way to the Father. But what artificial light are you holding on to for hope in this sin-sick world? In your sin-sick soul? Jesus came to bring good news to the poor. The poor in spirit, even the poor who are economically poor, financially poor. He has sent me, the Father has sent the Son to bind up the brokenhearted, to come along as a great physician and bring healing. That is his mission, to seek and to save the lost. He comes with healing in his wings, to bind up our wounds, to open up the prison of our soul so that we can fly free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the year of jubilee. Harking back to Leviticus chapter 25, where we have the year of Jubilee being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The year of Jubilee was consecrated and celebrated because it was when each person returned to his own property and clan. He was redeemed, he was restored, and would receive his inheritance again. Jesus is the restoration of of all things, the consummation of all things. And in him we have an eternal inheritance that shall never perish nor fade. In him is the year of Jubilee where we come to God through Christ. Turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7.
beginning at verse 18. The disciples of John, that is John the Baptist, reported all these things to him, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? That question refers to, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ who is to come? Verse 20, And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. That is to prepare the way of Christ. And then in verse 34, go down to verse 34. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Jesus came for this very fact to save sinners. He is the Christ who came to preach good news to sinners. If you are without hope this morning, if you want to know how to be forgiven of your sins, if you want to know how to have a relationship with your Father in Heaven, if you want to know how to be made right with God, I mean, be a part of His family, adopted into His family, you go through Jesus the Christ. You confess His name, believe upon His name. And this Jesus has the authority to grant a crown and a garment to His people. Look with me at verse 3. This Jesus who proclaims the year of the Lord's favor and the day of God's vengeance is the same God whose mission is to grant to those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. He gives them a crown. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. He gives them a crown and a robe of righteousness. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. He will plant them in the Lord's house like tall, strong oaks that are immovable. That's who you are in God's eyes, Christian. An immovable oak because of the righteousness of Christ, the garment that he has given you. You are immovable. And the ultimate end or the chief end is God's glory. The righteous will stand up tall and God will be glorified. Next time you walk through a great forest or any forest and you see tall trees, let that be 
some imagery for you of what it's going to be like in the Lord's garden, in the Lord's vineyard. Tall, firm, strong trees planted in his vineyard, immovable. Why? Because the Christ, the Christ will crown each of his children and give them the garment of righteousness so that they indeed stand tall and will, be not, and will not be moved. And they will glorify God. We will glorify him. Jesus has the authority because he is the Christ to grant these blessings of righteousness and peace through his office of prophet, priest, and king. In Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 12, I want you to turn in with me as we close to the Reforms and Prayers book to page 213. Page 213. Congregation, I'm going to ask the question. Let us respond with the answer together. Congregation of Christ, why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. Our only high priest who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father. And our eternal King, who governs us by his word and spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance he has won for us. Now turn with me to the next page. And here's where it applies to you, Christian. But why are you called a Christian? Together. Because by faith, I am a member of Christ, and so I share in his anointing. I am anointed to confess his name, to present myself to him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. In Christ, Christian, we too hold the offices of prophet, priest, and king. That's why you are called little Christs, Christians. And so let us remember that the Lord God, our Father, sent his one and only Son to be the anointed one, to be the Christ, to be our prophet, priest, and king. And that we too, through faith in him, and only faith in him, we are prophets, priests, and kings in service to our great God. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that you have anointed us with your spirit through faith in Jesus. In our hearts and on our lips, you have granted to us the knowledge and understanding and heart to share good news to one another and to our neighbor. 
You have given us your spirit to walk in the freedom that Christ has provided for us full and free. You have given us, O Lord, an eternal inheritance where we will reign with Christ forever. We will be kings and priests with God. Oh, Father, what a profound truth. And this is all because of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so help us, O Lord, in this season of life, in this season of the year, to rejoice in the God of our salvation, to rejoice in the Christ. And that you, O Lord, make us ready, prepare us to give an answer for the reason, for the hope that is within us. And that you would help us submit to the whole Christ of Scripture, not just who we think or want Christ to be, but who you say the Christ is. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' precious name.